0: It was 2010, in February, I was on a plane headed to Seattle, moving from Los Angeles to, to the Northwest, and we were tasked to reconstruct a program that's been struggling, and in, somehow in three years, we are able to turn it from a struggling organization to a Super Bowl championship caliber team, and it was very difficult at first. And I remember, as I, even during the season, there were so many transactions going on in, on our team. So many changes. Players were coming and going. Even coaches were retiring in the, in the middle of the season. I'm like, what is going on? I think we had a, a roughly 300 transactions. That might be an NFL record. I mean, people, it, changes were going, and I wasn't used to this. I'm used to coaching at the college level where pretty much the players are going to be there for three to four or five years. And this is the group that you're going to be able to coach. But in the professional ranks, there are changes happening at an unprecedented rate for us. And today we're going to see how Jesus is building his team here. And I believe that what he said in Matthew 16, to, by promising us that I will build my church upon this rock, I'll build my church. He's doing that exactly here at Evergreen Baptist Church in San Gabriel Valley. And I believe this is going to be a particular encouragement for us as we see kind of how the Lord's pattern has been in building his church. And when one doesn't recognize how the Lord moves... It can be discouraging. It can be discouraging, and I want—I'm sure—hopeful that this portion of scripture will be, will be a particular encouragement to all of us. So we're going to look to some patterns uh, out of Mark chapter three, verse seven through nineteen, to see how he works, and I believe the Lord will encourage us. And so, if you have your Bibles, Mark three, seven to nineteen is where we're going to be reading from. And I really am grateful how Pastor Victor and Pastor Mark are guiding the youth. At the 9 o'clock hour, the youth are, are getting a preview of Mark 3 or whatever is going to be preached so that they can engage with the sermon better. So I highly recommend that for all of us, whether you're young or old, read the portion of Scripture that's going to be preached. It's published at our, in our plug-in every Thursday. So read it, read it with your family, get familiar with the text so that you can glean as much as you can out of the scriptures. The heart of, what we, while we're doing that with the youth, is to integrate the youth into the big life of the church. Okay, so let's rise. We'll be at a Mark chapter 3. We're going to be preaching verse 7 through 19, but I'm going to back up one verse to give a little bit more context to verse 6. Mark 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him, that's Jesus, as to how they might destroy him. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee fall, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so that they will not crowd him. For he had healed many, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Verse 11, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God! And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Verse 13, and he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 why so that they would be with him so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons and he appointed the 12 Simon to, to whom he gave the name Peter and James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to them he gave the name, the name bonergis which means sons of thunder and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot. Verse 19. And Judas Iscariot, who would betray him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray your spirit would allow me to preach your word faithfully, but with power, I pray your spirit will give us ears to hear what you're saying about who you are. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. We're going to be answering one question. If you're a note taker, hopefully you are, this one question is this. How does Jesus build his team? How does Jesus build his team? All right? And I'm going to give you the hangers ahead of time. Jesus separates, Jesus summons, and Jesus sends out. Separates, summons, and sends out. Let's look at point number one. Jesus separates from the crowd. Verse 7 and 8 talks about a great multitude, a great following came to Jesus. Now, how great was this crowd? I'm going to give you a picture that we, us Californians can relate to, just so we can kind of understand the vastness of all these different areas that he's talking about from Galilee to Judea to beyond the Jordan to the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. Imagine Galilee as Sacramento, okay, on a much larger scale. But imagine Galilee as, sacra- as Sacramento. And they go down to Southern California where we live and consider that Judea. And if Jerusalem is Los Angeles, okay? And then when it says beyond the Jordan, it's everything east of the Five Freeway. Okay? And then when it says Idumea, think below uh, L.A. County, think San Diego County bordering Mexico. And it was this tire inside and think way up there by Chico and Eureka. I mean, so this is kind of the gives you a visual of what Israel looks like. And Mark is making a huge point here. His point is this, although at at verse 6 the religious establishment rejected Jesus Christ, they're trying to kill him. Mark is making the point that all of Israel Is coming to see him. Although he wasn't popular with the religious rulers, Jesus is gaining popularity from all of Israel. And this must have been encouraging for the Lord. I mean, if I was in the Lord's situation and I got wind that the influencers are trying to kill me, I would be very encouraged. Although the elite don't love me, the populace loves me. The people love me. And this must have been encouraging. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you want a huge crowd around you as people are against you to build a team so that to combat these people who are against you? I mean, think about it. More followers, you know, more likes, more publicity, more fame. I mean, isn't that a helpful thing to have if, if you're trying to establish a kingdom? Higher approval ratings. I mean, this is all that our politicians are after. You understand how this works. But this is not how the Lord works. Bigger is not necessarily better for the Lord. Jesus does something different. You see him asking the disciples, get a boat ready just in case I have to leave. He tells the demon-possessed people not to speak about him. Right? I mean, he separates himself from the crowd in in a lot of ways. He doesn't embrace them as, all right, this is my team. He actually separates why does he separate from the crowd and the demons as he builds his team? Why does he do this? Well, they, in a nutshell, the crowds and the demon-possessed people, or the demons have a different agenda from the Lord. They have a, they're trying to build a different kingdom. The crowds, they were about the kingdom of the world. And when surrounded by another crowd, perhaps the same crowd in John six twenty-six, Jesus knew the crowd and he said to them, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, listen up. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And this is after he does the miracle of feeding the thousands with a few loaves and pieces of fish. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know why you want to be with me. You don't want to be with me. You want the miracles. You want the healing. You want to be amazed at what I'm doing. You want to see the show. You, you're here for the hype. And the Lord knew this and goes, you know what? This is not what I'm about. I'll display compassion. I'll serve. This is not why I came. The demons, they're interested in building the kingdom of darkness. This is what they're about. I mean, in 2 Corinthians six fourteen, Paul says, what fellowship has light with darkness? This is a mix. For even the demons to proclaim, you are the son of God, this is going to work against the Lord. This is not what, who, who he's partnering with to build up his own team. They had a different agenda. And they're about building something else. And this is kind of interesting for us, you know. And Jesus actually stays true to his mission. How many of us during that time would have said, you you need to harness this group here, Jesus? How many of us would have said that? Like, we got to post this. you got to post this up there so the whole world can see how popular you are. Well, Jesus was never interested in gathering crowds. He was interested in building his church. Kent Hughes writes, and I thought this was a helpful quote from his commentary. He writes, our Lord would allow nothing, not even popularity and success to divert him from his primary ministry. He wouldn't do that. And he applies it to us today, Kent Hughes does. But it's not always the same for us, he writes. Success and popularity bring the crowds. Then keeping the crowds becomes all important. This is what we have to do. How do we keep them coming? So we do whatever we'll do to keep them coming. Popularity can and often does seduce the ministry. Popularity, gaining a crowd, collecting a crowd. And at Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley, I've had the blessing of, of really sitting with longtime attendees and long-time members, and I've been able to hear how they're feeling, and I'm grateful for that. And I appreciate how people will trust me to share their heart with me. I've, I don't know how many meetings I've had, but we've had meetings, and so have our other pastors. We've met, and we're interested in caring for what's going on. And if you're new here, and if you, or, if you, or if you're a new attendee, or if you're even a guest just to give you an idea of what's been happening, and this is a helpful thing, so that you know how your longtime members and attendees are feeling, so you know how to come alongside your brothers and sisters, because I know why you're here. You're excited. This is, it's all new. this is what you want. I understand that. That's a particular encouragement for all of us. but we're called to come together. How do we bring groups together by empathizing, by understanding and praying for one another? And in, the, in these talks, I, I, I've expressed, I know how you feel. I'm feeling the same thing, too. It's been difficult for me as well. As many lament to me how things have, uh, have changed, you know, and there's been so many transitions going on. And have I fe- I've felt this, too. Friends and family have left. I understand that feeling as well. I probably understand it more than anyone, how programs have shifted and even morphed and changed. How even staff has changed. Numbers of staff have changed, and we understand this. And even adjusting to our new budget, I mean, I I feel all these things. And so if you're new, just understand there's a lot of things going on, particularly for those who've been here a long time, who spent their lives helping build up Evergreen Baptist Church. I feel that too. But I I believe that the building process is underway. And just like in anything in life, there is a season of pruning. This is, a, this is perhaps the initial step in how the Lord builds. I remember coming home one day after the church, leaving the church office. It was evening. It was dark already, and I remember some of my family members saying, why do they cut all the roses off the tree, off the bush? I looked into the, the trash can. The right, they're white roses, and they're full. And they, why do they do this? Aren't these good flowers? I just said, just wait. Being a son of a gardener, I said, just wait, just wait. And matter of fact, in days, if not in a week, boom, the bushes were just blooming in a brilliant way. Oh, okay, I get it now. John 15, Jesus says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. This is how the Lord works. He creates space. He allows things to transition out and people to transition out, programs to die, even budget to go down, to help us focus in what is the most important thing. What is actual fruit in the local church? Helps us get back to the essence of why we're here. Bigger is not always better. Bigger is not always better. More people is not necessarily the goal although it could be encouraging. More events and programs are not always what the Lord wants. We're called to be a discipleship-making factory. If you want to know what the church is about and what fruit uh, is good fruit in the Lord's eyes, it's about maturing disciples, the fruit of uh, of the Spirit being displayed amongst all of us, how we love one another, how we love the Lord. This is it. Not necessarily how many people you could gather, not kind of budget you could have, not type of programs that you could run. That's not it. That's not it, church. The Lord says, at Matthew 28, go make disciples. Disciple one another. I believe the Lord is getting us to the basic fundamentals of the building blocks at Evergreen Baptist Church, you know, and on the other side of it, church i've heard from many others who have kind of a different take i've heard very encouraging things from people as just as much as i've heard from people who are are lamenting and struggling which i understand i've heard another side where people are fired up and excited these are some of the things that people have expressed their excitement over i love that we're expositing the scriptures in our sermons we're, we're, we're taking time to explain the text i can see how we're being more biblical these are thoughts that i've heard I love how we emphasize relationships with God and with one another. And this is perhaps why we're doing this this, this conference so that not only do we hear about God, we, we're going to be breaking up into small groups to kind of emphasize our relationships with one another. We'll be able to talk with one another. I've heard other things such as it's great that we're elevating what it means to be a member here at Evergreen Baptist Church. Meaningful membership. I've even heard this from young and old. There are less clicks here now. Less clicks here now. I love the Spanish language ministry. Man, what an amazing thing that, that we have our own worship service now. I mean, these are just some positive things just to encourage us. Like there's this whole gamut of feelings and emotions going on in the life of the church. And so it could be discouraging if it's just all lament at some point, we recognize, wow, this is how the Lord's moving. It could be very encouraging, actually. Very encouraging. Let's get to the next point. If he's not about crowds, how does Jesus build his his team? Number two, Jesus summons the 12, summons the 12. I've had a friend who talked about how his his child is moving up to college and flying up, and there's a sadness. and, And we know this as parents, right? I mean, unless there's some kind of a... Change, you don't necessarily grow. You know, change is oftentimes necessary to grow. And and I remember just even my own self when I, whatever university that I wanted to go to, I would apply to the university and the parents. You know what I'm talking about—that whole process of application and paying for the fees and all that stuff. But this is kind of how it was for the time of Jesus. Whenever you want to study underneath a, a particular rabbi or particular teacher, you would apply perhaps not exactly in our day, but you would ask and seek, can I study underneath you, teacher, rabbi? I would love to learn from you. I want to be underneath you. That's culturally in what was happening, but Jesus does it different. He doesn't work like everybody else. Instead of people applying to Jesus, had a verse, uh, let's check out verse 13 here. What does he do? He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Luke six twelve says this. He spent the whole night praying and then he summoned his twelve. Instead of people applying to Jesus, Jesus handpicks his twelve to come to him. And this is how the Lord works. Just like a draft. You know, he exercises sovereign choice of who he wants to form his initial team of disciples. They didn't choose him. John 15, 6, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you so that you would bear much fruit. And they, he summoned them, and they responded. And he, they wanted to be with him. And out of this group of followers, Jesus him picks whoever he wants, and he goes small. Jesus goes small. He goes with the 12, not the 12,000. There's something there. There's some wisdom there. He goes with the 12, not the 12,000. There are thousands of people that he could have asked to be or told to be around them. And he has 12 draft picks, and he uses them all and gets the 12 that he wants. He handpicks them, right? And why 12? You know, in the youth, I think that's what was one of the questions. Why 12? Well, Revelation 21 says that these are the twelve represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, in, in a nutshell, if you wanted to know that question answered, there it is. The 12 tribes of Israel. And then why did he use 12 ordinary men? I mean, as I read off these names from Simon or Peter, from James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas, these are 12 ordinary men. Jesus could have picked any 12. He chose 12 men to lead his movement. Why? I mean, they had no formal theological education, no unique influence. They're just normal as can be. No perfect character even. But just like First Samuel 16, as brother Trevor read, God sees not as man sees. Amen? Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And what was he looking for? What was he looking for? Well, he was looking for men and women who would serve him. I get it. In that unique way, he chose 12 men to be leaders. This is how the Lord works. He appoints men to lead. But he today he calls men and women. He appoints men and women to serve in a variety of ways. And maybe you're sitting there right now thinking, I don't have any formal education. I haven't been a believer for a long time. My character is not perfect. I don't have any special influence. Well, no problem. First Corinthians one. What is the what does Paul write in 1 Corinthians one? 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes very clearly who he chooses, who God chooses. 1 Corinthians one twenty six, For consider your calling, brethren. Talk to other Christians that they were not ma- that there were not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame things which are strong the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. See, what is God looking for? What is God looking for? What is our Lord looking for as he summons people to serve him in different ways? He's looking for humble hearts who don't feel like they have, confidence in themselves. It's, it's not how smart I am. It's, it's not how mighty I am. It's not the, the my talents that I bring from pro football to church. It, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. You know what he wants? Look at verse 14 with me, please. Look at verse 14. I believe verse 14 contains the key to this whole portion, but also perhaps even all of the Bible. Verse 14 says this, and he appointed twelve comma, my my NASB version has a comma. Why? So that they would be with him. So that they would be with him. God is looking for hearts that want to be with him. This is what he's looking for. He's looking for relationship. This is what the Lord is looking for. James Edwards in, in the pillar commentary has a profound couple statements that I felt our pastors and I thought would be a helpful thing for us to read. And he writes, Discipleship does not consist in what disciples can do for Christ. Let me read that again. Discipleship does not consist in what disciples can do for Christ, but in what Christ can make of his disciples. In other words, whatever one does is is simply a result of what Christ does in them. Christ doesn't demand obedience until He has relationship. We understand this, right? So, for, to demand obedience from non-believers is setting a wrong pattern here. It's actually working against building the kingdom. Let me keep going on what James Edwards writes. James Edwards continues to write the simple prepositional phrase "to be with Him." To be with Him, out of verse fourteen. This is how he describes has atomic significance. I love that. Has atomic significance. It's explosive. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, discipleship is a relationship before it is a task. A who before a what. Isn't that, isn't that fairly clear? It's about knowing Christ. It's about being with Christ. It's about being in a relationship with Christ. <clears throat> Before we ask, what am I supposed to do? Lord, what am I supposed to do? Or friend, what am I supposed to do? It it all starts with being with Him. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about being in a saving, loving relationship with God Himself. This is what this is about. It's not about doing, it's not about doing. A close, abiding relationship. This is how Jesus describes in his own words out of John 15, verse 4 and 5. Abide in me, remain in me, and I in you. There's a oneness. There's a relationship there, right? As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Unless it's connected in relationship with the vine, who's Jesus. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Remain in me. Relationship with Christ. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. He does the fruit producing in us. He does the obedience in us. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the Lord's words here. What does this look like? What does this look like? Well, it's really about knowing Jesus Christ as, as your love. Is he your greatest treasure as we read? Is he your greatest treasure? Obviously, there's a lot of competing factors in our life. And I get it. Even in my own life, there's moments where, is he the greatest treasure or not? I mean, yes, in general. But there's moments where I, have, where I need to repent of things, where I'm, I'm paying too much attention to other things. Do you think about Christ all the time? Do you actually love him? You know what you love by how much time you spend with them. You know who you love by how much time you spend with them. You could say we're friends and we're friends, but if you really don't want to talk to that other person, you're really not that close. I mean, maybe an acquaintance. That's not a relationship. That's more I know about you. Knowing him leads to obedience. Because we trust him. Because, quite frankly, friends in church, the Lord asks us to do, commands us to do things that are unorthodox, that don't go along with what the world says to do. How else can you obey him if you don't trust him because you don't know him? See, for our church here, I, I want to make a statement that perhaps would be helpful. Deploying people who do not have a relationship with Jesus to serve in our church simply doesn't work. I mean, if you're asking people to serve in church ministry and you know they're not in Christ, that doesn't work. It's not a part of the Lord's building plan. Church, it makes no sense to ask people to serve who are not Christians. It's like using styrofoam bricks to build up the castle, okay? It may look good, it may be spray painted correctly, but it's soft, there's no no substance to it. It's just doing It's not going to help build. And actually, it could go negatively against this because we could create a culture of doing without relationship with the Lord. Like, as if our doing is the reason why I am connected to the Lord. People could learn a moralistic or legalistic way of living. Well, Christianity is about just doing and living right, isn't it, Pastor? No. No, it's about being with Him, as verse 14 says. So instead of asking, could you serve I think this is the more appropriate qu- question. Ask first, how is your relationship with Jesus? Ask that. Let that be the normal cultural thing that we're talking about constantly, anyway. Think about your closest friends here at Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley. Do they ask you about this? Do they ask you about this? How is your relationship with Jesus? Think. Take a mental note. If it's yes, praise God. If it's no, something's missing. Styrofoam bricks. I mean, what is this relationship based on? Are you in close relationship with Jesus? These sort of things should be asked. Do you know him, but not not just about him, right? These are sort of the things that we want to understand. That's That's why with the youth we're making a very intentional evangelistic approach. We're not assuming any child or youth, even the for teenagers are Christians. And even in, in our sermons, I'm not necessarily assuming that either. Do you know Christ? Are you overwhelmed by who Jesus Christ is? If not, you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you more identify with doing things for Christ, you're probably not in Christ. Because that's not the gospel. According to authority of the scriptures, that's not the gospel. The gospel says this, I put my trust in you, Jesus, as my treasure, as the one that I desperately need to escape the wrath of God. Because I am a sinner. Jesus, I need you. I believe that you paid the price for me on the cross 2,000 years ago, and you are the risen Christ. I remember, Jesus, you are the risen Christ. And I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I want to be in relationship with you. This is what it means. And here's the good news. If you have this desire, he wants to be with you. He's not going to reject you. He says so that they could be with him. He wants to be with you in a forever love relationship, an abiding, deep, affectionate relationship. This is what this is about. That's how you build his team, relationships, first with him and with one another. And why is there 12 only as well? It's hard to get deep with a bunch of people. Twelve is kind of manageable. Even with Jesus, he had three that were around him a lot more. Relationships. Relationship, church. This is what this is about. With him and with one another. And this is not a privatized thing where I got relationship with Jesus but no other Christians. That doesn't work either. That's not a good mark either. It's Jesus and with one another. This is what the church is about. The church is the gathered ones. Let's go to our final point here. How does Jesus build his team? Jesus sends out the 12. Not only does he summon, he sends out the 12. I'm going to take time to read verse 14 and 15. Um, And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. Praise God. What great news that is. Relationship. And, here we go, third point, and he could send them out to preach, that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. In Luke 6, this parallel account, Luke 6, Jesus calls these 12 apostles, apostles. Apostolos, or apostles, simply means sent out. You're sent out. They were formally sent out. And this was a unique role for the 12. If we're ever wondering, are there any more apostles around? No, there are no more apostles around. Not like this, All right. In a sense, if you're a missionary or even me, I, I could have been sent out to care for Evergreen. So in a sense, I'm sent out. But there are no apostles like the 12 apostles here. And they had unique qualifications. What were they? Here's some. These apostles were personally trained by Jesus. No one has that anymore. These 12 were, were pers- has personally seen the resurrect- resurrected Jesus that's 2,000 years ago. These 12 were personally sent out by Jesus. So th- to be an apostle of this caliber meant you had to have those qualifications. And the apostles had the authority to speak for God. All right. Now, what was their primary emphasis according to verse 14 and 15? Well, just going down the text, so that they would go preach, K. Russo, to herald. To herald what? to hear good news as Jesus preached. At Mark 1:14, it says he, he went out preaching the gospel of God to preach the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's, in essence, what they went out preaching to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then also it says that they were given authority to cast out demons they're out to oppose evil and they were given these special authority or power to authenticate their preaching because during that time they didn't have a Bible. Now you know, right now we're going, marching down Mark 3, you know I'm preaching the Bible. The authority is in the Bible. The authority is in God's word to authenticate that they are actually sent out once from Jesus. Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons and perform other miracles. And what happened Particularly after Jesus dies and resurrects and ascends back to heaven, Jesus Christ uses this 12. One of them becomes a traitor, Judas. For, and you may ask, why did he choose him? Because he was prophesied, he was ordained from eternity past to be used by uh, evil to send Jesus Christ to the cross. And whether it's Matthias or Paul, I'm not sure who the 12th uh, replacement was or the next replacement was, but these 12 laid a foundation of the church. And this is why we have the Bible right now. This is why we could confidently speak for God when we opened up the Bible. Ephesians 2.20 says this, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, What is the foundation? What is this metaphor talking about? It's the teaching of the apostles. And why is Jesus Christ the cornerstone? And any cornerstone, all the pieces wedge up against the cornerstone. They all point to Jesus Christ. Everything the apostles had to say was pointing towards Jesus Christ. In which the whole building, the church, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, Evergreen, in whom you... Also, are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. See, Jesus is the cornerstone; the apostles' teaching round out the foundation. And guess what? Jesus says, "Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock." So, in just finishing up your application, what does this mean for us today? There are no apostles. I'm not an apostle. You know, I'm a preacher. I preach the Bible. The authority is in the Bible. So what, is it? what can we glean out of this? Yes, this is how Jesus built his team. He chose 12. But not only he summoned them, not only was he in a relationship with them, he sends them out. If you've been summoned as a Christian, he's sending you out to serve in a unique way. Obviously not as an apostle. But we're called to continue the work of the apostles to continue to teach and proclaim their words. We're called to continue the work. You see, it was a, it, during that time, for me, up in Washington, it was a challenging time because I'd never experienced that before. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm used to seeing the same people. Win or lose, and I'm used to seeing the same people. Right now, I'm like, I may be coaching a guy one minute, after the meetings, um, he's coming to my office saying, Oh, they let me go. And then here's a new guy coming. I mean, that was challenging. That's challenging. I'm hoping that we're able to see that things may change, okay? People, programs, emphasis, technology, a lot of things may change, but what doesn't change is the foundation. The apostles' teaching, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. So if you're new here and you're a guest, or you'd be wondering, like, what is this church about? We're about Jesus Christ. And we minister his word. We're focused on preaching and teaching God's word. This is is a primary function because this is how you get to know Jesus more. Otherwise, it's just your own imagination, how you want to form Jesus. You have to see Jesus through the scriptures in order to actually hear from him in a way that you know you heard from him, right? And so as we, where has Jesus sent you? We're called to be evangelists. Acts 1.8 says to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Where is your Jerusalem? Where has God sent you? Right? Who are you actively trying to evangelize or edify as a Christian? I love it. I get fired up when I hear when you say, hey, I invited my friend to attend our event or I invited my friend to service. I love that. I love that. I know people have been intentional here about inviting people to service. I love that. That's your way of evangelizing. Of course, you need to talk to them too. And I'll do my part. The preachers will do their part, but you need to talk to them too about Christ. I get fired up when I hear about people trying to evangelize their aging parents. How many of you here have an aging parent who you know is not a Christian, who know upon death they're going to face eternity apart from Christ? I know there's people here who are praying and looking to minister Jesus Christ to your aging parents. Or how about your siblings? Maybe you're grown-up now, and you're the only Christian in your home. Now you have your own home, and you know your adult siblings are, no long, are not even close to following Christ. I get excited when people say, Pastor, pray for my brother that he would know Christ. Because I know they're actively talking about and, and praying through how to share Christ with them. It's not just about being with Christ now; it's about being about Christ as well. So, what are we learning about? How is Jesus building? You know, I mean, I just want us to kind of encapsulate this before we conclude here. First of all, it's not about the crowd or the hype. Jesus is not about the crowd. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. We love people as many people to come to Christ, but you can, as I've spoken to many pastors, you can collect a room or a fellowship full of nonbelievers. And when that happens, they influence the culture of the church. Number two, what are we learning about Jesus' building plan? It's simply about being with Jesus. Simple, and perhaps it may be difficult for you to even relate to what I'm talking about because you may not be in good relationship with other people. How does this work with being in relationship with Jesus? I can't even see Him. I have the Bible and I have prayer. Well, Jesus shows up with how we love one another. Get involved with other Christians. Relationship, for whatever reason, that has been a clear, clear uh, area in my life. I don't know why. Uh, uh, Relationship's always been big for me. I don't know why. And I'm open to thinking perhaps it's not as easy for some of us in here. I, I understand that. Get involved with other Christians. Get involved with other Christians. Number three, what are we learning about Jesus' building plan? It's about being about Jesus, living for Jesus, and telling people about Jesus. It's those questions that I asked you earlier. How's your relationship with Jesus? The person sitting next to you, have you talked to them about Jesus Christ? You might have known them for 30, 40 years. You maybe never talked to them about Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. Let's conclude here. I heard a story told before, and I, I thought this would be a helpful and encouragement for us. It's about a traveler who came across three men. And the traveler asked a question to the first man, what are you doing? As it was a hot summer day, and these three laborers were laying down bricks and sweating. And the first man said to him, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm laying down bricks, and I can't wait for the day to end. So the traveler goes, thank you, sir, and goes on to the next worker. He asked him the same thing, and the second man answered, I'm, learn- "I'm earning a living to support my family. That's why I'm laying down these bricks, and I sure can't wait to go see them tonight when this is over." He said, Thank you, kind sir. He moves on to the third. He goes to the third and says, "Ask him the same thing," and but the man looked up, smiling <laughs> with a bright look in his eyes, and said, "I'm building a cathedral for God." You see, the church is not an actual building. The Lord is building upon the foundation of the 12 set. We're building lives upon the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And the Lord is building here at Evergreen Baptist Church San Gabriel Valley. He's, he's, in some ways, he's cleared the deck to let us build. And it's an exciting time. And I just can't think of anything else we'd rather do than to help, to come alongside what the Lord is doing here at Evergreen. Jesus is building his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for how your words minister to us. Thank you for how your words of 2,000, 3,000 years old words are relevant to us because they tell us about you. You are always relevant. Thank you for the opportunity to go over Mark 3. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the 12 apostles that you chose to serve as foundational stones for the church. But more importantly, thank you, Jesus, that you are the cornerstone where all truth points to. It's about you, Lord Jesus. And thank you for the gospel, the good news that that declares with power that we can be in a saving, loving relationship with you. And thank you that you have summoned us to be with you. And I pray, Father, for those who do not know you, that you will summon them into the faith today and they would talk to their friends, they'll talk to a pastor about you, Lord. Lord, will you give us spiritual eyes to see what you're doing? Help us to, I pray your spirit will energize the truth that we know about you through the scriptures to be able to apply what is going on in us and around us, Lord. Give us spiritual eyes to see, Lord, so that we will be encouraged as we see your invisible hand moving in our lives. And Lord, I thank you that you want to be in relationship with your people. And I pray, Father, that we will go deeper with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and we will be going deeper with one another. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.